0: You are now listening to What the Hell, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your way to better health. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 46 of What the Health. I'm your host, Lena Lahire, and today I have special guest Laura Brockman joining me. Laura is entering her second year as a PsyD student at Philadelphia College of Osteopathic-, Osteopathic Medicine. She is pursuing a career as a psychologist with a focus on neuropsychology. Prior to beginning graduate school, she worked with people who had been incarcerated and had mental illnesses and or addictions. Laura is also a member of the NASP's student board and the Chi International Honor Society in Psychology. I'm super excited to have her on
1: today. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, no problem. So just tell us, uh, tell our listeners, tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into the area that you're working in now.
1: Yeah. So I uh, started in medicine, Mm -hmm. uh, was my original plan of my career, and then I decided while I was in my uh, bachelor's that I wanted to pursue psychology, just because there was more. I felt there was more of a need um, for this field. There's a lot of um, a lot of kids and adults that needed the help in the mental health field. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go that route. Um, when I got into the PsyD program, um, I'm I'm focusing on children. And the neuropsychology came into place uh, a little bit later on throughout my first year when I realized that there is so much that kids experience as when they're little um, that we can't see. And so I was really kind of interested in, okay, let's, let's look at this aspect of the brain neurologically. And the learning disabilities and tie them together. Um, And that's, that's where my interest came in. Amazing.
0: So can you explain, I'm sure lots of our listeners know what neuropsychology is, but for those who don't, can you just explain what that
1: is? Sure. So it is essentially look, you're looking at the brain um, and you're, you're determining what the issues are. Um, So, for example, if you have a child with a learning disability, where is that learning disability coming from? What part of the brain is that coming from? Our brain is broken down into sections. So you have your um, your processing for speech. You have your memory. um, So where is that coming from? And that's really the biggest thing. Um, Another example is if a child has a traumatic brain injury what part of the brain was injured, what part of the brain is being affected. So we use tools such as our assessment kits. Um, so we'll do a cognitive assessment, we'll do an academic assessment. And that's really what essentially gives us that, okay, there's something wrong here. There's, there's a, a problem where this child is not processing something, but where is it coming from? And that's where the neural part comes in.
0: Mm. mm. And do you find that there's greater issues today with, with children's cognition than there has been in the past? Like, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I definitely think that there is a greater issue. Um, I'm not really sure if it's coming from the technology. Um, I don't know if that's playing a role in it where, you know, when, When I was a child, we didn't have the computers until a little bit later on. So everything that I learned when I was little, I learned through pen and paper, through, um, you know, just basic skills that gave me the ability to process things. When you have a computer doing it for you, you're not really using every single part of, of your brain. Um, So I do feel that there is a a large issue with developmental, and that also then goes into the social part of it, because now we're seeing kids are just using their computer. They're not going out to play. um, They're on their their gaming systems 24-7. So they're having like the social um, interaction through the computer, but it's not the same as face-to-face which is then goes into the anxieties and, and everything else. It's just a domino effect.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that you're, this is a perfect segue into what I wanted to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. I actually just watched The Social Dilemma yesterday. Have you ever watched that?
1: I have not seen that yet. No. Okay.
0: Well, it talks a little bit about um, addiction with social media and how it's affecting children and, and young people preteens, teens. teens, It's affecting their mental health. Can you touch on social media's role in mental health?
1: Yeah. So with social media, um, it's a a huge topic in, in all of my psychology classes. Mm -hmm. Um, it really does affect people mentally and then physically because everything is connected. Mm -hmm. Um, but the biggest problem is the comparisons. So you have a lot of this, you know, you're looking at what people want you to see. They're choosing what you see
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you're not really seeing their, their life. So you're comparing everything and, and a lot of photos, you know, are edited and and changed around. So you have young girls that are feeling like they need to live up to this um, standard and, and and look a certain way when that's not what those people really look like. Um, and it, and it really goes back to years ago before social media, we still had that issue, which it was just commercials and, and, um,
0: magazines Magazines.
1: that were giving us that false, okay, this is, you know, this is what you should look like as a, as a woman or even as a man. Um, so what ends up happening is you have the self-esteem that goes down, people's self-worth goes down. You start getting anxiety, you start getting depressed. Um, it's just leads into a whole bunch of, of, um, mental illnesses. Mm
0: -hmm. And is the rate of mental illness higher in those groups, particularly that, that use social media? I mean, like all ages, but like in particular, the younger generation.
1: Yeah. I, I think that, Mental health is definitely higher in in children um, or teens, but I do think that it's kind of goes across the board because even as adults, we still have that comparison factor. You mm-hmm. know, it, it, you still have that. You're looking at other people's lives. You're looking at your life. You, maybe you're not at that place in your life yet that you want to be and somebody else is so you're getting that same type of anxiety and and depression
0: Mm, mm. and what can people so so knowing this i don't think that is going to change um i think the rate of progress with and i say progress loosely but just the rate of speed at which social media is going i think it's only going to get worse What can people do to help manage this?
1: You know, I have always said that therapy, and I know it's, it's weird to say that, but therapy is good for everyone. It it doesn't even matter if you are experiencing anything um, that is prominent, like it's, you know maybe it's not that obvious to you, but there's always something that we can talk about. And there's always something that we can get help with. Um, And I feel that going to therapy and even just talking about these issues of, you know, where I am in my life and, and maybe when I look at certain photos of other women, I feel a certain way about myself. It's just good to talk to people who aren't biased or any, who aren't in your circle, who who can give you a different perspective and maybe give you coping skills and, and things to help you. Um, so I always encourage people to see a therapist, just, just to talk to someone. It doesn't have to be anything major. Yeah. Cause health
0: is a moving target. So, I mean, at some point or another, something is going to come up and you don't know what kind of tools you're going to gain from even, even having one session that completely changes you. Mm-hmm. You don't know where those teal- tools are going to come up again, right?
1: Yeah. They can give you a whole different perspective. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, people like, for example, for trauma in kids, People look at trauma as, well, he went to war, so he has PTSD, he has trauma. But there's all types of trauma that you can have um, from a child to an adult that if you don't realize is affecting your everyday life, you're gonna continue in this in this pattern and you're gonna continue to get triggered by things. And but you're not piecing it together because you're not in the mental health field. So you wouldn't know to piece those things together. So that's another reason why it's good to sit down with someone because maybe when you're just talking about things that bother you, they can connect it to your childhood and and see um, what they can do to help you.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Can you talk a little bit, because you have some experience with addiction, Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about the addictive nature of social
1: media? Can you touch on that? So I think it's that gratification. I think it's that like, we we get addicted to social media because we, first of all, we're just, we're already curious human beings. That's just by nature. We're going to be curious. We want to know what's going on. Um, and that's just natural for all of us. Um, so that kind of starts it. And then I think that the going into it, when you're posting things, you, I think people are, are looking for that, um, that gratification or that, um, attention, but not in a, not in a negative way, but just, you know, they, they want people to see their lives. And I just, I just think that that's something that we do as human beings because we're constantly talking about our lives, even, even to other people outside of social media, right? You are always saying what's going on with our lives and what we're doing and all this stuff. So I think that's just a natural thing. Um, but I think the, the fact that it's in front of us 24 seven, it's so easy to just pick up that phone and get just drawn into, um, those needs of, of Mm -hmm. wanting to tell people your life and wanting to, to be out there.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you think it's also like partly, you know, that, that little bit of fame or, you know, like a celebrity feel that people can have, even if it's just like a tiny bit of it.
1: Yeah. I think that goes a long way, especially with people who, um, maybe they, they want to be seen, they want to be heard. Um, I don't think that social media is completely negative in that aspect either. I think that that's great. It gives a it gives people a chance that, especially those who maybe are shy in person, but can put themselves out there a little bit more um, behind the screen. I think that that gives people an opportunity to show others their talents, to show other people um, their their love for something. Um, yeah, just, I don't think it's all bad, but definitely I agree with you. I think a lot of people, um, especially younger girls who see these influencers, I think they kind of are like, Oh, I want that. I want to be in the spotlight. I want, um, you know, the, the freebies that you get with all of that. So I definitely think it ties in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I agree with you. I'm, I'm on that spectrum too, where I see there's a lot of positive, there's a positive side with social media, but it's like a tool and you can use a tool for good and you can use a tool for bad. Where I'm most concerned with is younger girls and the young and even young boys, like, especially not having a fully developed brain, they can't compartmentalize. Oh, this person is, you know, posting something that is full of filters and their whole life doesn't actually reflect what they're posting. Like they, they don't go there. I don't know Mm -hmm. if it's because cognitively they can't get there or they're just so wrapped up in it. Like, what do you think?
1: I think cognitively they can't get there just because, you know, your, your brain doesn't fully develop until you're 25. Mm
0: -hmm. So that
1: whole uh, frontal cortex is not really giving you that cognitive reasoning of, okay, this is, um, this is bad, this is good. It's not giving you that logic and you need that logic in order to break things down and to kind of be able to step away from, from certain situations on social media.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Going back to mental health, I think it's, it's almost a bit of a buzzword and people don't really understand what mental health is what is the difference between a clinic, a clinically diagnosed mental illness and just everyday kind of feelings? Like what's the difference between feeling sad and actually being clinically depressed?
1: So there's a lot that goes into diagnosing someone. Um, it first stems from your symptoms. It stems from how long you have those symptoms, how frequent, you're having those symptoms and then whether or not they go by the guideline of the DSM-5. So that's really what breaks it down. Um, people, every single person has anxiety. Every single person will feel sad. That does not mean that you have an anxiety disorder. It does not mean that you have depression. So my advice is that When you're feeling, when it gets to a point where you can't live your everyday life without it impacting you, then that's when you need to seek professional help to determine if you have a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're just, you know, sad here, anxiety, certain situations, you may or may not need to sit down with everybody, anybody. Um, so it's really that I think the difference between feeling things of sadness and feeling depressed is, is this, is this changing my life where I can't do day-to-day things without, um, being stuck in a place. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think, you know, and you can comment on this, but people I feel are, can be quite quick to diagnose themselves. Oh, well, you know, I, I'm have an anxiety disorder when they've never actually received a formal diagnosis because they're, they're just anxious. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think that, you know, back to what you're saying, it's so important to actually go talk to someone and to not self-diagnose because like people say, Oh, I'm, I'm OCD about this. And it's like,
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people tend to, um, I blame the internet for that, but I think people tend to throw around words. uh, Bipolar is one of them. OCD is another one. um, And I don't think that people really understand what that means. You know, you can say someone's bipolar, that doesn't mean that they're back and forth between a decision or they're up and down. Like there is so much more to that diagnosis. Um, And, and again, I just think it's society that kind of you know, you, you, start saying those words, you hear other people say those words and you just kind of jump on that bandwagon of, Oh yeah, that person's bipolar. Oh, I have OCD because I clean a lot or something like it. That does not mean that you have a disorder.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if someone is labeling themselves or receive a diagnosis, how does that change our brain?
1: So we actually touched base on this a little bit in in one of my classes. It wasn't so much about um, the diagnosis of, you know, anxiety or depression, but it was more of an actual learning disability. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about how kids, when they're diagnosed with something like ADHD or learning disability, and they're told that they're instantly thinking I'm stupid because they're not understanding what it actually means. They're not stupid. They just might have to work a little harder in one area to understand something, or they might have a processing disorder. Um, But the parents are also kind of in with that because they don't understand what ADHD is or what a learning disability is so they automatically think that their child is slow or dumb or you know all of those things, and that affects people and their self esteem. That mm-hmm. affects whether or not a child is thinks that they're smart enough to go off to college. Um, that affects whether they think they're smart enough to do well on exams. They just kind of fall backwards mm-hmm. and think, well, I'm I'm not smart enough. So why am I even going to try Mm -hmm. when that's not the case at all? Um, So we talked about really educating people. And I think that is the biggest thing that we need to do, especially just across the board in the mental health field, educate people to understand what things are. So when we sit down with parents and we say, your child is diagnosed with ADHD, before we say that, we need to make sure that we're telling the parents, there is your child is able to do everything that any other child can do. They just have this diagnosis of ADHD and then really explain what it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Do you think it's better to not tell a child of a certain age that diagnosis if they can't fully comprehend that until they're older? Or do you think it's better to just tell them straight off the
1: bat? Um, I think that, I feel that if they, if you did tell a child, I don't know if they would be able to process it. Um, so I don't even, I don't know if they would really understand in the first place what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it is important to tell a child when they're older, but I don't know. I, I feel that every situation's different. It, it depends on the scenario. It depends on what it is that you're telling the child. Um, It depends on how greatly it's going to impact the child. So it's really just weighing out those different things.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you think technology has increased diagnoses of like ADD
1: and ADHD? Do you think that has any role to play? Yes and no. I think that the distracting factor really makes teachers think that the child might have ADHD um, because I've I've saddened with observations in classrooms, and I've seen kids just instantly go to their cell phones when the teacher's not looking. Um, so I think that that can be a cause of why the initial uh, referral is sent out. But being a professional, you're taught what steps to take and the proper way to assess each child to make sure that yes, this child has ADHD or no, they don't. So I think that once it hits that psychologist, they're going to be able to determine yes or no. So I don't think they're being misdiagnosed because they're, it's a really thorough process.
0: Right. Can you explain what ADHD is?
1: Yeah. Um, so it is attention deficit disorder, or if you have ADD and ADHD, so you have attention deficit disorder, and then you have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, and it's the difference between the two, um, is one is more of a, just your, your attention span. So if you're able to, um, pay attention for, long periods of time. Um, the hyper part is, you know, whether a kid is getting out of their seat a lot, uh, whether they, there's also a temperament that goes into ADHD. There's a, um, uh, like a impulsive that goes with ADHD as well. Like sometimes a kid is more impulsive to do something. Um, so that's really in a nutshell, what ADD is and ADHD.
0: Right. Right. And what kind of help can kids get other than therapy? I know there's, there's probably medication, um, but lifestyle factors most likely play a role in helping to manage symptoms. What could those lifestyle factors look like?
1: So again, it's different for every kid, depending on the diagnosis and and depending on their level of the ADHD, sometimes kids just need to be, um, their accommodations in a classroom need to be changed. So maybe they need to sit up closer to the teacher. Maybe they need to be kind of away from, um, distractions in the classroom. So maybe like the pencil sharpener or, um, just noises around that are going to distract them. Um, so it's really those accommodations that will help a child the most with the ADHD. Um, and then also it, it comes down to parents too, you know, outside of a classroom, um, just coming up with those different coping mechanisms that can help them to deal with the hyperactivity or, you um, the distractions or whatever it is it's kind of just coming up with a plan for each person of what is going to work best depending on their level of the ADHD
0: mm-hmm. in your opinion what are some of the things people do that negatively impact their mental health and it could be on a daily weekly basis
1: i think the biggest thing that people do is one comparison I think that's one of the biggest things that really impacts people's mental health. Um, And I think just negative thoughts, Mm. those negative thoughts will make such an impact on a person's um, overall mental health, because those negative thoughts, if you continue to have them and not switch them out for positive thoughts, it's going to take over. And you're going to start believing every single negative thought that is in your brain. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to start affecting you physically. And that's when you're going to see that spiral.
0: How does it, how does our mind affect our body? Like those negative thoughts, how does it affect our body?
1: So it goes off of our, so it's physiological and it goes off of our emotions um, so if we are feeling nervous, you are going to maybe feel that butterfly sensation in your stomach, or, um, maybe you feel nauseous and depending on what emotion you feel is going to affect what part of your body. And again, everybody's different. So some people will have the same physiological effects um if they're feeling nervous and if they're feeling happy they're going to get that same butterfly feeling in their stomach so mm-hmm. our bodies are essentially telling us that something is off you know our brain is telling our body something is off and then we realize okay something's off by the way that we're feeling mm-hmm.
0: and what happens you know like in terms of stress And those negative emotions, creating a stress response, what happens when that goes unchecked and we kind of just let that stress response ride.
1: So with the stress, it's again, that buildup. So if you are very stressed out and you're not talking to someone, or you're not releasing it in some way by exercising or watching a, a comedy movie or or whatever it is that works for you to help your stress, it's just going to continue to build and build and build, and then you're just going to explode. Mm -hmm. Um, And usually it's a mental breakdown. It's uh, lashing out at someone, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not good (laughs) either way. It's really good to get that stress out and not hold that in.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I like that what are some of the things that people can do to improve their mental health and kind of get that, that stress out?
1: Um, so I think that the best thing to do is to live a healthy life in general. So it it's, again, it's, it's all connected. So if you are going outside, getting fresh air, going for walks, Um, exercising, if you're watching those, um, funny shows or movies that kind of give you that, um, that dose of, of happiness, you're essentially going to feel, you know, less stressed, um, and that's going to be better for you with your mental health. I think another thing too, is really just checking in with yourself constantly, you know, how am I feeling? Um, am I? Is there something bothering me in my life? Is there, um, are there things that I'm not addressing that mm-hmm. I really need to sit down and figure out? Um, because again, I, I feel that it's so natural for people to ignore these things. It's so natural for people to say, Oh, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll get over it. It's no big deal. And then eventually you're sitting there and everything has now piled up and it's harder. To sort through what the issues are at that point. Mm,
0: so, like, as things come up, deal with them right then and there. Exactly,
1: deal with them right there. Um, You know, even if, even if it's not in that very moment, even if it's like a day or two later, but still, deal with it. Don't let it fester, and then it becomes a bigger problem.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's really hard for people to do because, like, people are. Are used to running away from things, right? Like dealing with those emotions when you don't have the tools to deal with them, right? Which is, which is why talking to someone is extremely helpful. Exactly. Um, it, it, that can be really challenging. And most people just don't.
1: Yeah. And that's why I said, like, therapy is the best thing because it's everybody has stress, everybody goes through day to day life, things happen. And if you have that person that you know that you can talk to and you know that you can call, that's not a friend or family member who's just going to kind of tell you, oh, it'll be all fine. It'll be okay. Mm-hmm. That's not what you need. You know, mm-hmm. you don't really need someone to tell you it'll be fine. You need someone to help you cope with things. Um, so if you have somebody already that's there, you can say, oh, my week has been really bad. You know, this happened or that happened. And then the therapist can can help you and, and guide you through that.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I have the most amazing therapist and I don't know how I would have ever managed getting through an, an eating disorder and all of the things that I had to overcome without her. Like I just, I couldn't have, and I don't think people can, especially when they're dealing with a lot of those issues.
1: Yeah. And I think it's so easy for, for people to, to think they can, because it's, it's partly pride too. Mm. you know, you think that, okay, I can, I can do this myself. I I don't need help. Um, But it's, it's not a bad thing to, to ask for help and to get that help. And, and people would be surprised on how, how much better they feel after just talking to somebody about it. Mm.
0: You know, one thing I found that was the most helpful for me is the normalizing of emotions and different things that we go through and to know that like what I'm experiencing is actually normal for what I've been through. Yeah. And for people to hear that, like you're reacting in this way, that's normal. It takes a weight off of you. Really? It does.
1: Yeah. I think it goes into that society again you know, we paint this picture that you can't have emotions, you can't have problems, you can't have this. There's something wrong with you. If, if you do have those things, and that's not true at all. We're human beings. It is a natural thing. We all have emotions. We all go through things in life that affect us in different ways. And there's nothing wrong with you just because of how you're feeling.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what, what kind of advice would you give people especially with COVID and going everything going on right now with mental health, like what kind of things are you seeing? What kind of advice can you give for people in terms of what's going on right now?
1: So I'm seeing a lot of like social anxieties coming up because a a, a lot of people kind of got used to that staying inside and not having to socialize with people. And now they're like, Oh no, I have to, you know, go back into the world now. Mm -hmm. I would say, Take your time and whatever you need to do for yourself is what you need to do. Don't allow other people to talk you out of what is best for you. If you feel like I'm not ready to be around 10, 20, 30 people or or I'm not ready to go to the supermarket or whatever it is. You need to set those boundaries and you need to tell people, you know, nicely, I'm really sorry, but you know, I'm not going to be able to go out today and you don't have to tell them why. And you can tell them why if you, if you choose to, Mm -hmm. um, but I think just setting those boundaries because your self, um, is, is the most important, you know, your, your mental health and your overall being is the number one thing. And you need to focus on that first before you, um, appease everybody else, I guess.
0: Yeah. 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 I'm really interested. I'm sure there's not going to be any shortage of ink spilled for psychologists everywhere going into dealing with COVID, but you know, like, I'm sure there's a lot of trauma that people have experienced and even like the anxiety about, like you said, going back out, being around germs, like not cleaning everything so much. I think, you know, we're going to see some major consequences of, of that for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And they said that in, in the very beginning, um, that the mental health field is going to be in an uprise, um, just between what you had just said, also people without jobs. Um, it, it really affects people and we have, uh, in the schools as well, they are expecting an, arise when these students return next year from being virtual and just kind of looking at the different, um, issues that the kids are having both behaviorally and cognitively and academically, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're going to have to sift through a lot of paperwork (laughs) and a lot of, a lot of referrals that are going to come in that we need to help these kids get, get back to to everything. Cause it really does change the way that you um, process things when you're at home and, and you're in this, this safe place. And then you go back to your school and it's, it's just a whole different learning experience and a whole different world really.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know. Like I'm, I'm in third year and they're talking about going back in the fall. I'm not sure Yeah we don't know what's going to happen here, but, but that that's what they're talking about. But even I'm, I'm like, Oh, I've gotten used to this now though.
1: Yes. It's right? the same like- for us. Yep. Yeah, we're going, we're supposed to go back in the fall too. And, um, I'm, I feel the same way. I'm like, well, I kind of got used to the online world. I don't know if I want to go back. Um, but again, it would, it will be nice though. I feel in the long run to, um, to be able to see, my cohort and in person and, and experience the the program in person for the rest of the time that I'm in it.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess with, with graduate school, the classes are a lot smaller mm-hmm. and they're a lot more yes. intimate, whereas, you know, yeah, I can, I can imagine that the freshers going in in the fall, like sitting in amphitheaters that have 400 people. I don't know if yeah. that will actually happen. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how how it will change, like education will change because of this. Um, What are are your thoughts? It's just interesting to talk to another student. What are your thoughts? Do you think like big classes will return or do you think there's going to be a hybrid?
1: I don't think that big classes are going to return. I think that, like you said, there would probably be a hybrid. Um, Maybe they're going to break that class down and have half of it go one day and have it another day or different times, I don't think they're, they're going to put that many people back in, even when we are all vaccinated, because not everybody is going to get vaccinated. Um, so I think that they are not going to want to chance it right away. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think they're still going to have different accommodations that they're going to use for the classes
0: Yeah. I would not like to be administration in the universe
1: (laughs) right now. Oh my
0: gosh. Yeah. I I don't know if big classes, I can't see them going back to be honest. Yeah. Okay. Well, I always like to end the podcast with some fun questions because my background is in fitness and nutrition. I always like to, to ask people some different food questions. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So if you were stranded on a desert Island and could only pick one food to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: Oh man, um I want to say something really unhealthy right now, <laughs> but I'm like, I should say something healthy. Um okay, I'll pick one healthy, one non. Okay. So the non-healthy would would be chick fil nice. I I just I don't know why, but it's like I feel like I could live with that for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, and then the healthy would be, oh man, probably like a vegetable, it, like I, I don't know. I could probably eat like broccoli every <laughs>
0: <day>. <laughs> But I think like solely on pleasure. I mean, if, if it didn't matter nutrient wise,
1: if it pe- didn't matter, I would go with Chick-fil-A.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. What is the best meal you've ever eaten?
1: Oh, okay. That's, that's a hard question. Um, I am a big, salmon person. So Mm. I feel like every time I go out to a restaurant, um, and I, I get salmon, it's usually the best meal that I've had
0: woman after my heart. Yeah. That that's my, that's my answer. If I could eat one food for the rest of my life, it would be salmon.
1: Yeah. It's so good. And I feel like there, there's so many different ways that you can add, um, like elements to it Mm -hmm. to just like make it different flavors. And it's just so good.
0: Yes. So good. What is your favorite
1: restaurant? Oh, my favorite restaurant. Um, there is a place in, um, Philadelphia, which is where I live. Um, and it's called Barcelona wine bar. And it's just this really nice restaurant with all these different plates that you can get. So if you are craving five different things, you can get five different small plates of things. Um, Yeah, it's just a really, it's a great atmosphere, good food.
0: Mm, I love that. What's your favorite travel destination that you've been to?
1: Um, It would be a toss up. I would say either Hong Kong or, um, Italy would be my, my top two. Very
0: cool. Very cool. What's your favorite binge watch television series right now?
1: (laughs) Um, I was just talking to my friend about this. It's, it's probably, I don't even know if this is like a, a great show to tell people. I mean, it is a great show, but I don't know how appropriate it is. Um, but it's called dead to me, um, have you seen that one? No, I haven't. Okay. It's, it's, um it's basically a show about a woman who hits this other woman's husband with her car and he, he passes away and she fr- becomes friends with her to hide the crime. Yeah. And it's just, it's hysterical. Um, It's again, it's a little inappropriate, but it's hysterical. And I, I do recommend people watching it. <laughs>
0: crazy psychologists,
1: right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what is your most epic fail?
1: Oh man, my epic fail. I, 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 feel like there's a lot of epic fails that I have. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like these things happen on a daily. I'm not <laughs> sure how to answer that.
0: It's a hard question.
1: (laughs) It is a hard question because I feel like there's so many things that I, um, I'll like plan something. I think the biggest thing is like, I'll try to plan things and then it's just like something happens. Like, it's just always a a fail because just something ends up happening and, um, you end up having to change things around and it's just, it's always a mess. I don't know why I can never plan things with it. Like going the way I want them to
0: <laughs> the life is an epic. fail.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> and what is the happiest moment of your life?
1: Oh, I, you know, I want to say when I got into my program, um, I've had a lot of happy moments though. So I, I don't want to, I want to say that is, is one of them. Um, just because like after you go through so much hard work and, and it's, it's a struggle, you know, when you're Mm -hmm. trying to get into a doctorate program, there's so many challenges you have to face. There's so many different obstacles. There's that mindset of, you know, am I going to get in? Is this good enough? Mm -hmm. Um, you have to work your butt off and you don't know if it's going to be the outcome that you want. Um, So I, I was extremely happy when I got into the program that I had wanted to get into and everything just kind of fell into place after that.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. And what advice would you like to leave our listeners with in regard to their health?
1: My best advice for everyone is to To speak up, to talk about it, to let people know how you're feeling, um, to not to not allow yourself to be in a place of what are people going to say? Are they going to judge me? Because a lot of times, people you would be surprised by the reactions of others. Mm -hmm. And I think that just by, just by telling somebody how you feel and by telling someone what you're going through, you're going to find that either a, someone has also been through that as well and they can relate to you or B that they're, that they want to help you, that they, that they want to, um, guide you in, in that place, or, or they'll encourage you to go and get help if you need that help. But I, I just always say like, just, just talk to someone, anybody don't hold that inside.
0: Yeah. That's wonderful. And where can people find you?
1: Um, so they can find me on my Instagram. It's student doc Brock. Um, so it is S T U D E N T and d-o-c and then b-r-o-c-k
0: awesome and i'll put that in the show notes as well well it has been wonderful having you on the show thank you so much and for coming on and sharing your knowledge with
1: us thank you so much for having me it's been a great time
0: yeah thank you for tuning in to today's episode don't forget to subscribe to my channel on itunes what the health And please do leave me your review so we can get this message of better health out there. Stay tuned for future guests coming up, which I'm super excited about. And remember, you are powerful over your health.